1: Thank you for joining us on EASY's Community Focus, where we look at the issues that matter in South Florida and the people and organizations that are making a difference. So happy to welcome back a gentleman who has been absent from the program for a while, the former president of United Teachers of Dade, who left us to go upstate, (laughs) and thank goodness he did, now the president of the Florida Education Association, Frederick Ingram. Welcome back.
0: Hi, thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate being here, and it's good to talk to
1: you again. It is good to talk to you. I will tell you that Carla Hernandez-Matz has been doing a fabulous job, so you have a great replacement, but now you've taken all that energy and genius about the school system and you brought it to the whole state. Can you give us a little bit of a background on your role as president of the Florida Education Association and what their role is for the whole state.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I am the statewide president of uh, the Teachers Union, and that means that United Teachers of State uh, is one of 67 different local unions. So Broward Teachers Union, uh, West Palm Beach Teachers Union, all the way up through Uh, Escambia County, and all the way down to the Keys, we each have local unions that all report to our state union, which is the Florida Education Association, and we are the liaison to our national affiliates, which are the American Federation of Teachers, and the National Education Association. So here, statewide, we represent 150,000 educators and educational support professionals, plus college and university professors at our public schools, at our public universities and
1: colleges. Okay, that's a big group of people that you're representing a wide diversity of school districts and opinions and beliefs, and somehow you have to make it work for everybody. But the big concern right now is reopening schools. Now, in Broward, teachers already went back to school this past Wednesday, kids are starting this coming Wednesday, and what's fascinating to me is they're actually holding Parent University lessons online to teach parents Mm -hmm. how to deal with the current situation, which is distance learning and possibly going back to brick and mortar. Miami-Dade, teachers go back on the 20th, students don't return until the 31st. And while all this is happening, the Florida Education Association has a lawsuit against our state government because they were mandating that schools must open brick and mortar. What is the story with why the mandate and why the lawsuit?
0: Yeah, well, listen, let me first say this about Broward County Schools and Dade County Schools. These are two school systems that have shown real courage and real leadership through perilous times. So we have an emergency order that was issued three weeks ago by the Commissioner of Education, Richard Corcoran, and the Governor, uh, Ron DeSantis. And this emergency order stated three things. One, that you had to offer a brick-and-mortar in-person teaching option that was five days a week, and you had to have that inside a plan. If you did not have it inside a plan, then there would be potential penalties that you would face in a school district that would have amounted to millions, tens of millions of dollars for each day and Broward. But what I will say, is superintendents, the school boards, and local unions have all worked collectively together in the southeast portion of our state to say, listen, we're going to do what's best for our students and our communities. And we're going to uh, have online virtual school and distance learning because of the positivity rates, because of the death counts, because this virus was out of control, is out of control. Mm -hmm. And so they are uh, really uh, pushing the commissioner really hard and so we thank them for that statewide because it's given everyone uh, around the state a bit of courage to go to the virtual school and distance learning.
1: Why would they mandate that you must offer brick and mortar five days a week when we are the epicenter right now of COVID-19? And, and not just we, but in particular, and Broward, but the whole state.
0: Yeah, it, it really is the whole state, right? We have been the, the vortex, the epicenter of this virus. And I don't speak for the commissioner. I don't speak for the governor. I would hope that they would leave with science and public health officials and data that would drive them to say, we're going to do what's best for Floridians, uh, specific to South Florida. Because these rates are out of control, because of the potential community spread, because of the potential super-spreader events at elementary schools or middle schools or high schools. But our political officials seem to be driven by political gain. Um, They have attached our schools directly to the economy, uh, which ties directly into the politics that we see across the country. You know, our president and our governor have given us a slogan, get the schools open well that's not a plan that's a slogan and that is not where we need to be and we need to be conscious of the the consequences know that these are children and know that these are teachers and cafeteria workers and bus drivers who give their life blood and soul to you know wanting our communities and families to be better
1: you know we've seen examples already there was the school in Georgia that one kid took a picture of this crowded hallway and posted Mm -hmm. it the picture went viral Uh, Of course, the child was suspended and then they rescinded the suspension, but a number of students ended up testing positive shortly after that. So we see how quickly it spreads. We're aware of that, and I'm trying to understand what is the economic impact of continuing distance learning versus brick-and-mortar schools. Why is the brick-and-mortar considered to be a better economic situation by those above us?
0: Yeah, Well, I'm glad you brought up Georgia as an example because we don't have to go that far. If we just roll the tape back to last month when uh, in Volusia County, in Daytona Beach, right here in the state of Florida, there was an outbreak in an after-school daycare where there were 10 adults that were impacted, seven students in a group of 35 who were doing in-person instruction, and this was in a public school. We can go right up to Tallahassee uh, at Fort Braden Elementary School just this week. uh, We lost a custodian and we lost a teacher. We can go Mm -hmm. down to Pasco County who took professional development, a teacher, and there was a community spread and four educators lost their lives. We have these big instances of evidence right here that in-person teaching is very dangerous here in the state of Florida. Uh, To answer your question about the economy and what's impacted in that. Listen, we want our schools to be open because parents need to go to work. We understand that businesses have to open, that there are certain and specific hours for our adults and and young people who are going to have to work and create this economy. But right now, we've got a public health crisis A 100-year public health crisis. And this is not business as usual. This is not normal times, And our new normal says that we must lead with compassion and grace as it relates to keeping people healthy, keeping people alive, and watching the care of our children. That's where we need to be. And unfortunately, we haven't had that leadership.
1: It's interesting and sad, horribly sad, when you talk about the educators losing their lives, the custodian. I hear people talk about The mental impact, the psychological impact on kids of being home and not being with their friends. But it seems to me that losing teachers, watching their teachers die, would be much more damaging to them than spending more time at home.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so let me talk as a father. Uh, I have three children, one of which who was going to the ninth grade this year, and um, she has been home for the past five and a half months. And I will tell you that it takes a toll. It takes an impact when you're not around uh, your friends, when you're not having that collegiality among your peers, and when you're home with your parents every single day. <laughs> so, yeah. And as much as I love her and she loves me, there's an impact there. But I will tell you, just like you said, uh, I think the very children who are vulnerable at home, Become more vulnerable at school right now. These are the same children who are in Title I schools, who come from very challenged backgrounds, who, in many cases, come from socioeconomic statuses that that do not allow them to isolate themselves if they get sick, Uh, that doesn't lend itself to a, a young person having insurance if they have to go to the hospital or if a parent has to go to uh, the hospital and be isolated. Remember, when somebody gets ill with COVID-19, be they child or be they adult, they are in the hospital by themselves. There are no visitors there is no, you know, I'll see you tomorrow, or let me stay by your bedside. These are the kinds of things, this is the impact, just like you said, to watch a child, you know, go out of a classroom or a teacher be removed. You know, what happens when that classroom has a person that has been inflicted by this virus? Do we quarantine the classroom? Do we quarantine a hallway? Do we quarantine the school? And do we, you know, charge teachers, you know, days, all 14 days because they have to quarantine? Those answers to questions that we have have not been answered by this emergency order. And it's shameful in this state that we're we're trying to mandate our schools be open, hell or high water, given the circumstances that we have.
1: So where do you stand now with the lawsuit? What were you asking for?
0: So we are asking for an emergency injunction to throw out the emergency order. If you throw out the emergency order, that would give the local school district the autonomy to say, we're going to do what's best for our community without an instance of penalty. So Dade and Broward are very different because they're the two largest school districts in the state and really in the the country, they're in the top five. But we have smaller and medium-sized school districts that if their plans were not approved, they'd lose millions of dollars. That means that right away, programs would be cut. Right away, people would lose their jobs from cafeteria workers to bus drivers to paraprofessionals. So they've been forced into a situation that they have to open brick and mortar. And we're seeing adverse effects uh, throughout the state. Now, what we would, would like with our lawsuit is to be heard. Um, as, as a matter of fact, this week coming, we have a hearing Uh, for the emergency injunction on Thursday. And we're hoping that the judge will side with us, uh, uh, grant that emergency injunction, lift the emergency order, and allow these school districts to do what's necessary.
1: And in the meantime, you've still, all of the school districts have had to prepare to go forward with starting school on schedule While the lawsuit is in proceedings, so my understanding is they're doing things like putting up plexiglass barriers around the desks and redesigning the rooms to try and make them socially distant for the classes uh, with hand sanitizer everywhere. I mean, that's another expense, too, is reaccommodating everything in the classroom for them to be as safe as possible.
0: Sure. The, the very sad part about what's happening, especially with this emergency order issued by the governor and the commissioner of education, is it doesn't come with funding. It says, you, you must open brick and mortar, but we're not going to give you any more money than we think you need. And we are woefully underfunded for decades here in the state of Florida. Uh, you know, we have, we have 46 in the nation in teacher pay. We have 43rd in the nation in per pupil funding for our public school systems. And what we know is our schools were made for social interaction and not Uh, Social distancing. And so if we reconfigure and re-engineer our classrooms, teachers are doing what they always do. We have teachers that are going buying shower curtains, uh, teachers that are going out buying plexiglass, getting their husbands and uncles and brothers to come in and redo desks all across this state so that they can do the best that they can in social distancing, spending their own money, possibly to save their own lives. We have teachers that are filling out wills all over this state simply because they know that they're putting themselves in peril. We have teachers that have made life decisions to retire at early ages. But what does a teacher do if they're 60 years old and they know that they have underlying issues? What if a healthy teacher goes into a classroom and they take this illness home to a sick child Mm -hmm. or to an elderly parent? These are the things that are being hoisted and forced on our teachers, the people we trust with our kids. That's unfortunate that that we're in this state and the state is treating our public schools in the manner that they are.
1: Yeah, I understand about a third of our teachers are actually in a high-risk category. And I know there's all the talk, well, children don't get it as much. And, And it's not entirely true. Children don't have as severe cases most of the time, but even if they're asymptomatic, they can still spread it, and then there is a percentage of children who end up hospitalized, and of that group, there is a percentage that end up in ICU, and children have lost their lives to this disease, so really no one is immune to getting it or to spreading it.
0: That's right, but let me quantify that for you. 43,000 children have been diagnosed in the state of Florida. Uh, That is not an insignificant number. We have to be guided by what we see in the data points. And the data points tell us that children are not immune. Children can be vectors and carriers. And we have to do things as safely. This, this, This virus is six months old. So if somebody's telling you that they have a silver bullet, they have a panacea, they have a vaccine, they're not telling the truth. They don't know. And if we're going to do this and do it in a manner that is righteous with our children and with our teachers, then we ought not to be the petri dishes for the nation. We ought, to not, ought not to put our kids in an experiment because that's what we're doing when a kid goes back into school in the next you know, 10 days or 15 days. So
1: what can you recommend if this lawsuit doesn't go through in your favor and the schools must open brick and mortar five days a week? You've said teachers are spending their own money. I mean, putting up curtains, uh, it's just craziness to hear this kind Mm -hmm. of talk. But what kind of precautions are you able to recommend for teachers? And how will you handle if you're able to do a combination of distance and learning face-to-face. Does that mean teachers then have to do extra classes? They have to prepare for both options? So here's
0: some of the advice that we're giving teachers and uh, education and stakeholders, anyone who is attached to our public schools. Uh, We have to re-educate our children on hygiene. Uh, That is going to be first and foremost. That's paramount that um, our kids get used to washing their hands on a very consistent basis. Uh, We know that that is one of the ways that we we stop this community spread. Uh, Handshakes. We need to shy away from that, from touching objects like doors and hallways and each other and book bags and those kinds of things to the extent that we can. And so I will tell parents just to concentrate on the hygiene portion, concentrate on on masks, although there is no mask mandate. Um, We believe at the Florida Education Association that the science tells us that masks cut down Uh, the mortality rate cut down the hospital rate and cut down the community spread. And so we are advocating ask for children we're advocating masks for our adults. Um, and then social distancing. Um, you know, to the extent that we can, whatever you can do, you know, try to deal with the 6-15-48 rule. Stand six feet away from a person, not spend more than 15 minutes in a community kind of setting. And over a 48-hour period, make sure that you are distancing yourself from others.
1: Which is just so ironic because everything about school is about community <laughs> and being together right. and kids hanging in their groups in the hallway around a locker i mean it's um Correct. it's so uh, it's like being in an alternate universe <laughs> like, it is
0: it is yeah uh, i think we talked about uh george orwell 1984 right yeah uh, you know how we don't but but what i will tell you this i'm the eternal optimist i'm a teacher i believe in what i cannot see Uh, I don't think this is going to last forever. Uh, I think this is temporary. I think we will be stronger because of it. I think our society is going to be better. We're going to build our way out of this. And we're going to be a better democracy because we have gone through this. You know, and I just believe that our kids will write in the history books and say, I was there when we had, you know, in 2020, uh, one of the biggest public health crises that we've ever had in the world. Uh, we can get through this. If we work together, if we do it together, we will have our kids back in band and football and social gatherings you know, sooner than we know it. But right now, this is about a community sacrifice. This is not about distancing. This is about everybody sacrificing to make it better for everyone moving forward. And if we have to do that for a short time, I think that we'll all be better for it.
1: Well, you know, if you look historically, there are a couple of people who have actually lived through both the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918 and this one, and they survived that. We've survived civil war. We've survived world wars. We survived the depression and our country and the world have always come back because people are resilient and people are stubborn (laughs) and tenacious and don't give up. So, Like you say, down the road, yes, I'm sure we'll be able to look back at this. And you know, those of us who've lived through it more recently will say, wow, I am so... They talk about a a new thing now called COVID fatigue, where people are just burnt out from dealing with it. And and I totally get it. And now for parents having to face a whole school year with the uncertainty of what's going to happen, how will their children learn? Do most of the uh, district's give the kids or parents the opportunity, the choice of whether they want to do brick and mortar or distance learning?
0: Most school districts around the state are giving a choice. And I have to say that they have been very courageous and very creative in ways that they're trying to help students in our community although we know that distance learning is not optimum we know that nothing replaces that magic that happens between a teacher and a student in a classroom working collegially with their fellow classmates and you know going through the grind of academics and getting better uh, nothing replaces that but right now Uh, We have to do this distance learning uh, to the extent that we can. And what I will just tell parents is, listen, let's keep our kids healthy. Let's keep them safe. Let's do academics to the extent that we can. And when they get back in school, and they will, our teachers will do what they always do. They will get those kids where they need to be. I have every confidence that my colleagues are ready uh, and willing to do even more than we have ever done before because we know what's at stake. Our next generation of adults are at stake. And they will do what's best, but let's keep them alive and let's keep them healthy let's feed them and let's deal with this academics uh, again hundred uh, uh, percent as much as you possibly can but but we will do it and we'll get this done as a public school community
1: right and maybe we can put out a plea to businesses that have also been suffering tremendously and you know now if they're just reopening and they're dealing with employees who are saying I might have to be home with my child, or I might have to be exposed if my child is in school, please bear with me. So, you know, a plea to business owners to, you know, give your employees a little bit of latitude while still obviously wanting to stay open and keeping the economy going to whatever extent it is, you know, certainly not where it was, but it will come back. Um, and people have already found new ways of of running their businesses that don't include face-to-face contact and enable people to either shop online or pick up at a curb or they've moved things to digital and online services, much like the schools had to do with online teaching. So, you know, we know that, yes, in the long run, we will be fine in the short term, These are great challenges. I had mentioned Broward Schools does have parent education going on for helping with distance learning, and I will recommend that parents go to BrowardSchools.com to see what those classes are like and if they can pick up any tips. And a lot of our nonprofits and museums have stepped in and are offering classes online and assistance for kids. So, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs around the country have offered to step in and help with the kids who are distance learning. So, yeah, we'll get through it. It's not going to be the easiest of times. You know, you say you expect some kind of response to the lawsuit by the end of this coming week?
0: Yes, the end of this coming week. Uh, We will be in court, uh, and we're hoping that the judge uh, hears our Mm pleading and awards us this uh, emergency injunction to throw out the emergency order that was issued by the Commissioner of Education.
1: Okay. Um, Please keep us updated. If people want to go to the Florida Education Association website, you keep updating things on that page, right?
0: We do. We do. You can go to uh, feaweb.org. Again, that's F-E-A web.org or we're on all the social media platforms as Florida Education Association Facebook Twitter and Instagram.
1: Okay. And um, we did have a story come across our news desk with tips for parents on how to deal with the distance learning. So that's up on our Facebook page easy931. You can also find it on our website easy93.com and One of the first things it says is to know the state curriculum. What is the curriculum that's required for your student in your grade? Where would be the best place to find that, the required curriculum?
0: If you go to Miami-Dade Public Schools, their website, Mm -hmm. uh, they will have everything that you need. Um, As you said, the parent university for Broward County, you go to Broward County Schools, Log it into your Google uh, search and the school systems in South Florida have done a yeoman's job at providing the essentials for parents, for community and for students. And I have been most impressed with the school district there. I'm so proud of Miami-Dade. You know, that's where I did my teaching in my hometown. And, uh, it, it, you know, you, you all have really stepped up to the plate uh, and done a great job. So kudos to Miami-Dade and kudos to Broward County, to the superintendent, specifically Dr. Runcie and uh, Mr. Cavallo. I appreciate uh, their leadership and to the local union leaders, Ana Fusco and Carla Matt.
1: I'm guessing they're smiling right now, um, because it's a tremendous amount of work. I've looked at the plans, and it's page after page after page of contingency upon contingency upon contingency. And they have to look at every single detail, and they've done that, so, and we'll continue to do so. so we're we are so lucky to have the people that we have working on our behalf, on our children's behalf on our teachers' behalf and to have you as the head of the Florida Education Association after all the years in Miami-Dade County and as president of United Teachers of Dade. We couldn't be better represented as a state.
0: Well, thank you very much.
1: Frederick Ingram, president of the Florida Education Association. It's so good to talk to you again, and thank you for everything you're doing on our behalf.
0: Absolutely. Thank you, Alan. Thank you for your longstanding work.
1: And with the last few minutes left in the program, uh, today is the last day of early voting for the primary election, which happens on Tuesday, if you haven't submitted a ballot by mail and you haven't early voted. We turn once again to Christina White, Supervisor of Elections for Miami-Dade County, for some things we need to know for voting on the day of the election. And I think, Christina, one of the biggest concerns people have about voting in person is COVID-19. What are you doing about precautions?
2: We want to make sure that we have all of the CDC and Department of Health Mm -hmm. recommendations in place so that voters can feel safe. And that's not going to be a deterrent for them coming out to vote, because at the end of the day, that's our mission, right, to make sure that people are not just registered, but they're actually coming out to vote.
1: So what specifically are your poll workers going to be doing and what do you need from the voters when they show up at the precinct?
2: This is how we're going to be protecting you in the era of COVID. All of the poll workers are going to be wearing masks. They're going to be given face shields and disposable gloves. They're going to be wiping down all the common touch points after voters are coming in and out to keep the room as sanitized as possible. Of course, adhering to all the social distancing protocols. But on the voter side, you have to wear a mask. So make sure you bring that mask with you to come in to vote. And we're also gonna be asking you to sanitize your hands on the way in and out of voting so that we can keep everybody safe. So I just wanted to make sure that I stuck in there that we are gonna be protecting not only the poll workers and the voters to make sure that everybody is uh, you know, safe and, and it is not a deterrent to coming out to vote.
1: So aside from us wearing a mask and sanitizing our hands, what do we need to bring in terms of identification? to be able to vote day of?
2: Okay, there's a ton of different forms of ID that you can bring. I'm not gonna go through all of them, but it's very easy. The key is that you have an ID with you that contains both your photo and a signature. Mm -hmm. We need those two elements. And so the best and easiest thing to have is either your driver's license or your Florida issued ID Mm -hmm. because it contains both of those. But you can also combine things, you know, such as a passport that has your photo. Well, that has a signature on it as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, let's say a neighborhood card that has your photo and maybe a credit card that has your signature. You know, the key is photo and signature, and you'll be able to vote. So...
1: For early voting, you had more days available than was required, more than two dozen early voting locations, and morning and evening hours to make it accessible for as many people as possible. But coming up this Tuesday, the actual election day, I understand that there were some cutbacks in voting locations.
2: I did have to reduce (laughs) by 27 locations, but that's really very modest when you talk about 600 precincts throughout Miami-Dade. And by the way, that's within the realm of normalcy in a normal election because you know there's construction and you know senior activities and stuff like that that happen and so we're actually in great shape so I would go onto our website and put in a very few basic pieces of information about yourself and it'll tell you where it is that you're voting if you're an election day voter
1: which will be anyone who doesn't vote today what has turnout been like so far
2: it it, it will be shocking to know that in a primary election We usually have somewhere around a 20% voter turnout, okay? 20% of our voters are actually making the decisions of the people who are going to end up. Some races, they'll win outright in the primary. 20% are making the decisions for who's getting elected and or going into the general election. Now, in comparison, a presidential election will have at least 70%. And I'm sure this year, with all of the energy and enthusiasm (laughs) surrounding it, it's probably going to be somewhere closer to 80%, maybe more even. And so that's a drastic difference. So it's very important to come out to all elections in which you are eligible for.
1: So let's look ahead to the general election, November 3rd. What can you tell us about registering in time to vote for that
2: right so talking about the november election you got plenty of time october 5th is the deadline although i would suggest you do not wait until the last minute the (laughs) best thing to do especially now i mean usually we're out and about in the community with you know different outreach events that we're doing and those really aren't happening as much anymore so the easiest thing to do is to go onto our website online voter registration it's very easy you put in the information um within a couple of weeks we will mail you your voter information card um, but if you, you know, don't have access to the Internet and you can stop by any one of the Miami-Dade County Public Libraries, we'll have forms there as well, and you can fill it out and, and mail it in or leave it there at the library, and they'll get it back to us. So those are probably going to be the easiest ways because you do have to put that request in yourself.
1: All right. Well, I know the website is Iamelectionready.org. If anyone has any questions leading up to Tuesday's election, the primary, or the general election, November 3rd. Again, it's IamElectionReady.org. Christina White, Supervisor of Elections, Miami-Dade County. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck, Tuesday. Thank you. I'm Ellen Jaffe. Thank you for listening this morning. If you have questions about the program or would like to suggest a topic, you can email me at ellen at easy93.com. Join me again next Sunday at 6.50 for an all-new edition of Easy's Community Focus. Please stay safe, wear your mask, social distance, and have a great day.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time.